0: Just get started. So, I'm Brigitte Whaley. I'm one of the coordinators of the Quantum Control program. Um, the others are here, or I think some of them. Jared Milburn's here, and Tommaso Calaco's there. Right. And there are a few other people from the program here. And uh, David Ben-Simon and I were talking, and uh, because there's certainly in our community, um, a subsection of us who are interested in using or con- coherent control for probing biological systems. And David mentioned there's some interest in, in optical techniques in, in biology. Uh, there might be some useful discourse we could have between the two programs. So we've uh, asked on a voluntary basis for you to come this afternoon and we are each going to say a few words summarizing what in our respective areas, our programs. What is the state of the art? What's known? And then maybe we'll open. We'll, we'll just go from there with a discussion. So I've prepared um, a few slides that summarize, uh, in a sense, what uh, is known and what people are interested in studying uh, that relates to quantum coherence in biology. And I start here with. Uh, so David, I, I just. Started a little bit, introduced myself to the biologists. So, maybe you want to say a word to the.
1: Uh, I well, first, first. Okay, okay. all
0: right. So, so, this is a slide from Ali Pasha Vaziri, who's a um, quantum physicist by uh, background, experimentalist, who spent several years at the um, Geneva Farm uh, developing imaging techniques and has got interested in. Um, Quantum uh, effects in ion channels, and he has this slide that he put up, uh, which nicely summarizes uh, sort of the inverse relationship between the uh, evolution, and this is now in time, of the tools getting ever, ever finer, going down to a molecular scale and beyond, and then on the other side, the question is how the function is modified as one goes down to the smaller time scales, and in terms of the size, there's of course a boundary. Where we have to, we can, where we can no longer ignore the quantum behavior of the particles. And the thing that a lot of us in this area are interested for, in is firstly, can we uh, detect um, and, and see evidence for quantum coherence on in this, in this kind of length scale? And if we do, is there some uh, feedback lesson? that tells us that uh, the coherence is, is possibly relevant for biological function. And so that's sort of the, what's given rise to this uh, field of quantum biology. But quantum biology actually is a very old term, just a bit of history here. So it was actually termed, uh, the term was coined by Jordan in 1930, 1931, and the first real quantum uh, biologist from physics was really Max Delbruck, who studied genetic structure and mutations with X-rays. So these were the first quantum probe of the biological structures, and it was also an acknowledgement, maybe the first of the need to understand the detailed molecular structure of functional biological entities. So since then, there's been a lot of work, and I've normally divided this into sort of like a BC and a AD, or a BL and an AL before the laser and after the laser um, set of uh, topics. Uh, So in the early days, it was... uh, And which really are summarized in Schrodinger's little monograph, which is based on uh, Del Brook's work. It was all about molecular structure and pathways, what role the quantum nature of molecular energy levels and uh, energy barrier plays on stability of uh, biological material. But then after lasers uh, were developed, then spectroscopic tools became a lot more sophisticated and people have started to look at quantum dynamical effects we have now new generations of dynamical probes, new innovation coming from quantum information science, which is where a lot of people in our program come from, and associated technology. And so uh, so in a sense, there's sort of two ways to think about quantum biology these days. One is to actually using the tools of quantum science to develop probes. To summarize here in this kind of uh, list of topics, with this example here from Hong Kong Park's group in Harvard are primarily spectroscopic techniques which are probing the dynamics uh, in, um, in natural systems and the prime example of this the one that 's been most widely studied is electronic energy transfer and photosynthesis so there are several people here in the program who 've looked at this and so this is just Okay, so this is a reasonable, uh, this is a summary that shows the first occasion of these different experimental um, studies showing evidence for some kind of dynamical uh, effect, dynamical quantum effect. And these are the ones for which there's firm experimental evidence. And then of course there are these, uh, um, there's a lot of theoretical work uh, that some of it is completely un. There is no experiment, the first one at all. there's very little experiments on olfaction, but there's quite a bit of theoretical work about the role of inelastic electron tunneling there. And a very interesting one, which some people here, Hans Briegel in particular, uh, are interested in is the radical pair mechanism of bird navigation. And there's a lot of experiments that are consistent with this, although there's not quite as much evidence as there is in, for the exotonic coherence. So I think I could probably just close with this one which is a summary that was uh, put together for the Soviet Congress on this uh, two years ago. And um, so at that time, uh, there was a sort of table put together and this is really summarizing what people are looking at now, uh, people who are coming from chemical physics and quantum physics and going into biological systems and trying to understand, to measure and then also on the theoretical side to understand the quantum dynamical processes. What we have very little of though, which would be great to talk to, to the biology program here, is. We're really, in this community, it's really all physicists, chemists, and there aren't so many biologists and it's, we're really not making the link to the, to the larger biological picture of function and, um, and certainly to evolution. So these are the questions, so as at the end here, so I have these technical slides I can show people later. Open questions, here we go. Where was it? I think the open questions, I actually took these open questions from a talk on photosynthesis, but these questions really are the same for each of the problems that we're looking at. They're very similar open questions for um, bird navigation, for vision, um, because these are all processes that are initiated by light. So So the real question is, what kind of coherence is it actually that's being probed? spectroscopic experiments are rather hard to interpret, and they don't come with a label saying this feature is due to an electronic degree of freedom, and this feature is due to a vibrational degree of freedom. The physical origin of the coherence, there's a lot of uh, modeling that has to go along with this. Then uh, there are interesting uh, issues about the behavior in, if you do an experiment in vivo versus in vitro, and related to that, the effects of initial conditions. And, of course, the thing where we really as a community don't have, uh, really, um, haven't really done too much and it really would need to link to biology is the question of what all this really means. You know, is, it, is it just coincidental that these quantum effects are in these particular systems preserved or is it um, biologically significant either in a functional or evolutionary sense? Okay, so that's sort of where we're coming from. And there are for the next three months going to be people here every week who are interested in this, um, some subset of our program. Okay. So I'm
1: supposed to present the quality uh, person, and uh, actually I'm a physicist, so um. but I uh, will. I will present oh. uh, so I will present uh, the, the the point of view of the users. So basically, I'm not I I'm not going to deal that that much about uh, necessarily quantum effects in biology. Which there might be, uh, but there's definitely an importance or, or, or a definite use for um, optics and maybe quantum optics in, in biology, in terms of control and and study. And uh, the examples that I will mention here, will, towards the end, would be geared towards towards that. We're basically not. Uh, uh, so much the discovery of quantum effects in biology, which again might be or not. Uh, but uh, I think be, even, even without that, th- there is definitely a very interesting uh, uh, subject to do, which is development of, uh, of tools and the use of these tools to study uh, problems in biology. And I would just like to mention where I think uh, your community would and already says, contributed, because there, is, I mean, there have already been, been some, some, some important contribution there. Uh, there are two areas where I think quantum optics could be relevant. One of them is control. There is a lot of activity now in biology on optogenetics, which is essentially the control of cellular processes with light. And uh, the moment the tools at uh, the disposal are uh, simply, uh, as you see them, uh, uncaging or isomerization or uh, light-sensitive proteins, uh, but I think uh, th- there could be a nice ways to actually tune certain uh, reactions by by uh, tailoring the, uh, the excitation beat, which would be very interesting. I forgot to mention. Would be interesting. And the other the other thing which where, where uh, interest is, defi- is definitely is in visualization, and uh, again, there, is, there has been a big uh, uh, revolution in the past uh, three, four years with the development of super resolution methods. And uh, in some sense, super resolution methods, you might say, are quantum. certain of that. Uh, in particular, is definitely a quantum uh, coherent effect. So, uh, so by trying to think of ways to use non-linear effects and quantum effects to maybe improve resolution, or improve uh, or or, or improve depth depth of imaging, Uh, mentioned towards the end that biological uh, uh, media is highly scattering. So, if you could use uh, nicely shaped pulses, and they are suggested by Aaron Zibner, for example how to do uh, fo- uh, spatial temporal focusing in, in uh, a scattering medium so that you can go and visualize deeply into, into a tissue. That would be uh, open, uh, new, new possibilities in, in imaging in biology that would be very, very useful and interesting. i just like to, to, to uh, demonstrate here is a rapid overview of what people have been doing in uh, in this years of optical control and uh, optical visualizations. And then uh, we end up with a rapid uh, overview of some open questions. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> huh? okay. Okay, so uh, what I was telling you is really to use light as a means both to control locally and the, 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 the locality is very important because there are means to control biological processes uh, genetically or other means, but locally that is something that at the moment is not, uh, it's very, it's very limited. So uh, light can be very useful at that point of view that you'll be able to control processes at the single cell, in an organism even. At a given point within a given cell. So that's a very useful problem. And it is non invasive. Another problem I put here. The non invasiveness of light is very important because our techniques, you can use pipettes and you can use uh, things with, to, to study. Uh, the advantage of light is its non invasiveness, mortality, uh, and then, of course, to, to, to be able to visualize and develop smart ways to visualize. And what we're going to tell you about this genetics. Uh, which which looks at uh, uh, light light activable channels. So basically, you 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 want to turn on uh, neuronal activity by by optical closing some channels. So you can, there are no proteins um, that will be developed, adapted to to uh, to uh, balance, uh, mice, etc. Not not that experiments there. But you, you, can, you can then uh, express those channels in normals and activate them locally, and look at uh, so you can depolarize or hyperpolarize neurons and look at uh, uh, action potential propagation. And not only can you uh, activate, but now, very recently, within the past year or so, uh, Adam Cohen at uh, Harvard developed. Uh, 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 proteins which are membrane-sensitive, so they are voltage-sensitive that sit in the membrane, they are voltage-sensitive, that's also sensitive to the voltage across the membrane, and their sensitiveness is expressed in a change in their fluorescent properties. So they become, they essentially uh, become fluorescent, so they, they, they have a shift in fluorescence when, the, when the, uh, the voltage across the membrane is changing, and this can be, this has been very useful as you see, to not only can you excite it? you can also visualize an action potential without any measurement, simply optically. And uh, until now we didn't have such, uh, such tools. So the ability to, the only two that, that were at the disposal were patch clamp, where you come with an electrode and you measure the voltage. Now the optical means to do that is are really beautiful. And then, so, so the, and, and there are the means also to, to, uh, to control bioelectronics. So this is just controlling and observing activity of, of neurons so basically uh, electric activity uh, but uh, there are proteins that do many things enzymes and control transcription factors of DNA etc yeah. and there are means to, um, to to control them and I will just describe one and again it uses light to uncage molecules it would be very interesting to be able to control maybe the uncaging pathways or or, or to do smart things for, for in, in isomerization, I mentioned, and so And then there are the, there are the whole new techniques at super resolution that actually uh, allow imaging <coughs> below the diffraction limit. That, that would be very uh, interesting to to pursue and to see if we can do better than has been proposed, and to visualize deep into tissues, millimeters. At the moment, most uh, most uh, imaging techniques don't work beyond the few. Uh, hundred microns because of scattering because of distortions of, uh, of the biological uh, matter and therefore being able to to visualize deep into into a tissue to a brain for example where people are very much interested in knowing what's going on there that would be very very interesting uh, in, in a non-invasive way and, and maybe you guys could, could do something like that so the, as far as light sensitive ion channels is concerned so there are They've been discovered a few years ago. There are two uh, classes of channels. There are activate- channels that activate, that generate an action potential that depolarize the cell. And there are uh, channels that inhibit, that hyperpolarize the cell and prevent it, uh, its, a, it's a tra- transfer of, uh, of uh, action potential. Uh, so the name doesn't matter. Uh, but they are sensitive to different wavelengths of light. It's very useful. So, uh, there is a point. So, this one-channel rhodopsin is sensitive to blue light, and this one, halorhodopsin, is sensitive to yellow light. So, depending on what, which wavelength you shine, if you express, you can express either one channel or the other, both in a given organism, and depending on, on the wavelength of the light, you can either activate or inhibit certain neurons in, in the animal. And this is a typical example on sea elegance, where each time you shine uh, the whole organism with yellow light, it simply stops in, to move and it freezes. And there are examples like that also with, with zebrafish. Uh, this is the work of uh, Adam Cohen, published very recently, as you see. Uh, what you are going to see is a measurement of an action potential. So what is being done here? Is looking at the change. So when the potential across the, when, the, when a, a neuron uh, is activated, its membrane, which is usually polarized, it's minus 100 millivolts, depolarizes, uh, and there is uh, this depolarization is, is uh, measurable as a spike because it lasts for a, for a few milliseconds, and the membrane repolarizes. There are channels that uh, flash in and out uh, the, the various ions. Um, and what you typically then see is uh, something like this. you see a spike, and if you continue to that, you can, you can see trains of spikes like that, which are uh, action potentials. Uh, so, usually these are measured by, uh, with, with, uh, with a pipette, you, you come with a pipette, and you, uh, you uh, measure the, the voltage on, 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 the rem- on the membrane, between the membrane and the, the solution. And this is typically the blue signal. This blue signal has been measured with a pipette on a neuron. And the red signal here uh, is a measurement of the change in fluorescence of protein that is uh, expressed in the membrane of these neurons, and that changes its fluorescence when it becomes fluorescent when, when the voltage across the membrane is, uh, is changed, when there is a depolarization in, in the voltage of the membrane. And you see that this, the, the amazing thing here is the signal-to-noise. The signal-to-noise of, uh, of the, the, the uh, fluorescence probe is uh, almost as good as the signal-to-noise of, of the patching of pipe, pipe. Yes? How is it different from voltage sensitivity dyes? You don't need dyes. You don't need dyes. You don't need... But
2: dyes, could the same, yeah, but,
1: right? but it's more toxic, or what? Dyes are toxic, you need to inject the dyes into the animal. They don't last that long. These, these things can last for hours. So they've used, these proteins are expressed in the neurons, and, uh, and they can be used to measure, uh, actually, uh, I like this group has measured measure, the excitation of, uh, of a given cell, for example, they, they, they use that, for example, to look at the heartbeat. So they can look at the neural excitations of uh, of, uh, cells in the heart, and they can look at that for an hour. So it's see the heart beats for an hour with this protein, with no toxicity. The cell doesn't die. Uh, This protein, which uh, very, their problem actually is that they are not very uh, fluorescent. You need to put, you need to express rather a lot of protein in the membrane to to to, uh, uh, correct signal. But what's the working? Uh, Their wavelength, ah, I, I forgot. I don't remember. But if you go to this paper, you'll know the details. I would say one advantage is the proteins can be expressed by the organism. Yeah, yeah. not don't don't, Exactly. You don't have to. You don't have to use them into some right. membrane system. Right. right.
0: But then you have to do something to initiate that expression. Right? Yeah. So you have to have um some trigger
1: right Oh, so, so well you no, know, they, they can be expressed they can be expressed naturally they go to that they go to the to, to the membrane one of the, the, the main problem was to actually make sure that the, that the protein will go to the membrane uh, and uh, and so they have now uh, this protein that goes into the membrane it sort itself into, into into the membrane and then it's sensitive to, to cha- voltage to changes incidentally, this dye, this protein here is, its property is that it fluoresces. Uh, One of the big, uh, uh, of the big um, uh, goals of, of that field before this was discovered, was to try to find proteins that, that have a very strong second harmonic coefficient, because the the second harmonic will be very sensitive to the voltage, to the, polar, to, the, polar, to, the polar, to the polarity of uh, across the membrane. And so far, this has been this has not been discovered or not been searched very intensely. I do not know. There are many these proteins are are being uh, extracted from uh, from uh, animals, from uh, unicellular animals in the sea. But maybe a a coupling between biologists uh, of of, uh, small animals or. this comes from algaes or or, uh, <coughs> or some other marine marine unicellular organisms. Trying to have a, 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 to measure second harmonic <coughs> coefficients from uh, such animals, if we discover a very strong second harmonic protein, that would be a very good candidate to also measure uh, action potentials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. um, so this is, uh, when it play? Yes, it plays. So what you are going to see, what you see here is a change in fluorescence as the cell is being uh, excited. And what you see, what you are, you should be seeing is that the soma here emits, uh, emits an action potential, but it becomes very bright. And there is something here, do you see, it becomes bright here, the action is, but is destroyed, is and there is a small, uh, uh, a small uh, synapse here that uh, that uh, receive the action potential with a side delay, which you can just. Uh,
2: does the intensity as a function of distance of position reflect just how much protein there is? Yes.
1: Yeah, how much? protein there is? Not so
2: you, there's no way you can normalize this to
1: if you are Oh yes, you can. No, you can. <laughs> the, the change. I mean, you, you can normalize. You can normalize to the. Uh, uh to, to the to the fluorescence before or after so you can normalize the thing the the the, the average fluorescence be, before and the other and, and the changes fluorescence after
2: can you compare two different neurons? The, uh, the activity of two different neurons can you normalize the i
1: guess you can normalize it by by the fluorescence of the of, of the, 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 the 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 species before and after the the the, the pulse but Here, there definitely are are something, are interesting uh, uh, project for you. So This is very recent. There might be, this might be just the first of a class of voltage sensitive proteins, but being, looking for uh, proteins that have interesting optical effects. In other words, that's the message. Looking for proteins having interesting optical effects that can be used to monitor uh, physiological processes would be very, very useful. Okay, so this one is fluorescent, this is easy. Having a protein that exhibits a very strong second harmonic uh, coefficient would also be very interesting. And maybe you, you have other ideas. And here there is very little actually contacts or interaction between biologists that, uh, that, that work on all these organisms that maybe are around for many years. And, and optical people that tend to uh, characterize and measure these, these effects. So if you have a colleague there, there might be some uh, revolutions to be made in the discovery of this protein. The, the other thing, I'm, so, so this was the, the other thing I'm going to tell you about quickly is uh, control with light of uh, protein or morphogen activity. So this is retinoic acid. Retinoic acid is a morphogen. It plays a very important role in in, in development of, uh, of embryo. At establishment of the anterior-posterior axis, development of the of the brain, of the eye, of the heart, left-right asymmetry, etc. It's it's a very important morphogen. If uh, if uh, if the animal gets too little or too or too much of that, it, it dies. It develops very badly and dies essentially. So it's it's a very important morphogen, and its activity can be controlled by isomerization. So this is the potent uh, form. This is trans-retinoic acid. This is the 13-cis retinoic acid form. Of, right. So this one is inactive, biologically inactive. You can, uh, you can put your, uh, your animal in that, nothing happens. This one is a very active form of, 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 of the retinic acid, the one that is being used for development. What you see here is the brain of a fish, a zebrafish. The brain of a zebrafish uh, starts by having s- uh, some stripes known as rhombomeres. So the first stages in development of the brain, in the fish, in us also, is the formation of these stripes. So here you see two stripes that have been labeled by some uh, in situabilization, by, by, by some biological t- trick. So you see rhombomia 3, rhombomia 5, this is 4, 6, and 7. Uh, this is a normal animal, <coughs> normal brain. Uh, if you incubate the animal in a drug that blocks retinoic acid synthesis, retinoic acid is made from vitamin A, which the, the mother lays in the egg, and this vitamin A is used then by the embryo to make retinoic acid and used as a morphogen. If you block the enzyme that, that transfers vitamin A to retinoic acid, the brain develops badly and you, don't, you, you, you are missing a part, of a part of the brain features, for example, you don't see this rhombomere 5 here. If you supply retinoic acid, you can rescue the development of, of uh, the brain. And you can do that here, this is being done by simply incubating the fish in retinoic acid. What we have shown, oops, what we have shown is that you can do the same thing by isomerization. So you can give the animal 13 cis, and you can you can gen- re- rescue the fish by isomerizing the 13 cis into all trans. Now one of the one of the problem of isomerization is that you get a steady state of the two isomers of the cis and the trans. It would be very interesting where if, if you could by tailoring your your uh, your exciting beam. Uh, drive the reaction either all to CIS if you are in trance or to trans, if you are in CIS. So that is something uh, that I don't know if it is possible, doable, but that is something that would be very, very uh, interesting to be able to control CIS trans-isomerizations by appropriate uh, tailoring of, uh, of uh, the, the, uh, the beam, the, the laser beam or the excitation beam. That drives this uh, type of, uh, of photoreactions. Uh, the other uh, way to control to control protein activity is by uncaging. You can uh, you, you, you can release a certain a certain molecule that, would, that will then be, uh, uh, release a protein from some complex it made with uh, with chaperones, some big proteins in, in the cytoplasm. And the protein, which will be released, can do many things. So these uncaging uh, ideas, uh, we have applied them, many people are applying them. Again, it would be very interesting to see if by tearing the beam, you could, for example, uh, lower the, 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 the requirement for, for uncaging uh, unca- or... or, or uh, How
0: well do you understand the uncaging process? I
1: mean, the, it's, the chemistry know. is very well known. The, the, the groups, the, the conformation chain, the groups, yeah, yeah, that, that, is, that is very well. I can give you uh, 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 references. The, 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 the uncaging chemistry has been around for uh, maybe 20 years. Many people have been using that to, to cage uh, small neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine, uh, GABA, or ATP, or, or small molecules. Uh, now people are being are using uncaging to start to to, to uh, use that to control proteins or or or, yeah, or um, uh, to to cage other important molecules in the metabolism of the cell. So there are two issues there. One is to be able to reduce as much as possible the amount of light so that you can drive the caging reaction to, to, uh, to separate the caging. Basically, it's a chemical reaction, it's a photochemical reaction. You have, you have a, 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 a chemical group that is uh, being excited by light. The electron is being excited, and the electron in excited states goes and hydrolyzes a bond between the chemical group and the, the molecule that you want to release. So, the principle of, of that is, is and, and depending on the chemical group, the reaction is a bit different. So, so, there, so there, there, is, there might be something to, to, to be worked out there. There is, there is the issue of, of, of uh, being able to uncage at higher wavelengths. At the moment, most of the uncaging groups are at, in, in the UV, or if you use two photons, so it's around the 700, uh, it would be very interesting to have uh, uncaging group at different wavelengths. Um, in the visible or in the infrared, the moment there is none. So, but that may be more chemistry than quantum optics. So, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> and then there might be uh, it might be interesting to use to use, uh, to use quantum coherence effect to again uh, 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 canalize the chemical reactions towards uh, towards the product, For example, because you may you may be better expert at that than me if it's possible or not. To, to imagine some caging group, where you can uh, more easily canalize the reactions.
0: So what is the usual picture of the elementary processes right after the initial excitation? Is it then that there's a electron transfer?
1: There is an electron transfer that, bit. ah, I, OK, uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But immediate, immediate. Okay, the question is how immediate that is, I mean, you know, it's, whether it's a nanosecond, which I guess is not so immediate for you, no, or whether it is a picosecond. second. more. Interesting. Yes, right. So I don't know. This. Uh, so these these techniques can be used to, to target, and then so so this is catching, and then there are the techniques which are very very interesting nowadays, which is. Uh, uh, to, to beat the, uh, um, the diffraction limit. And the one uh, that is uh, maybe not the most popular because it's a little bit difficult. Again, that's uh, something that could be interesting. Uh, it's, it's a said uh, microscope where basically uh, you, you excite the fluorescence and then you use uh, another coaxial beam to actually induce uh, uh, simulated emission uh, in, in, a, in another band of emission, so basically you, you, you force the you, you force some of the uh, of the excited um, atoms to go back to, uh, to to the ground state, and, and the whole idea of uh, of, uh, of said is that the, the uh, emission the simulated emission beam there's actually kind of a donut shape, and because stimulated emission is a nonlinear process, uh, it will be it, 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 the the probability of uh, of uh, return to to the ground state will be much higher where there is the stimulated beam uh, rather than the center. So you, it's not proportional just to the intensity of of the stimulated beam but it's proportional to some power of the intensity of the stimulated beam. And that essentially means that where the intensity the, the of the beam is zero, you get a very high uh, resolution because uh, you, get, you get kind of a, uh, a shaping of, uh, of uh, the probability of the excitation that goes like a power of, uh, of, that, uh, of that shape here. So that allows you, for example, in a typical example that uh, uh, Stefan Helles developed, instead of having a, a spot, I mean, typically the spot here that you see is by, by, uh, by diffraction limit is uh, uh, 200 nanometer or something like that, but because of nonlinear effect of, due to stimulated emission, the fluorescence that is being emitted by, by that method is limited to a spot of only 60 nanometer in that particular case here. Okay. So you, you 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 build heavily on the nonlinearity of of the stimulated emission to actually improve uh, tremendously the resolution. And uh, so this is uh, uh, again from from uh, <coughs> from Stefan Hell uh, paper where basically uh, you see the, the very high nonlinearity dependence of the fluorescence on uh, the step beam. So this is typically a uh, definitive uh, quantum effects where, where you use the emission to, to improve the resolution uh, in a microscope. And that was, that, 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 that the thing you really you know, this idea of Stefanel. This revolutionized the uh, imaging and, and, and optics in biology because until, until a few years ago, everybody thought that we would never be able to see features in the cell with the resolution below uh, the diffraction limit. And nowadays, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's trivial, but many, many, many more and more labs are actually studying processes in, in cells with the resolution, which is much below the diffraction limits, 50 nanometers, 60 nanometer. So here is a typical example, again from Stefan Hell. This is a confocal image. Of, of, of some synapses in, uh, in in neurons. And this is the steady image, and you can definitely see that certain features here are much better resolved than in the control image. And that's it. So to finish, what are, my point of view, the open question, not so much as Bruggetta, which is nice to with a kind of a complementary view. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been focusing mostly on the use of, uh, of, of optics uh, in, in biology. So basically, a bas- few question is uh, can, can we control the shape of the beam to control isomerization from one form to another so they can activate, deactivate biomolecules? Can you use uh, non-linear effects, so like 2nd harmonic generation, uh, to uh, control also the biomolecules or to generate, uh, to, to generate new effects that will allow you to visualize? Uh, can you use temporal or spatial multiplexing to improve resolution? Um, so that would, as uh, I told you, to go into the tissue, you are limited usually to a few hundred microns. Now there are interesting uh, examples, uh, particularly by the group of Silberberg, it's a recent paper, in which uh, by using uh, uh, some some nice uh, tricks on, on, on the beam, you can show that uh, uh, you can have, even if you, you, can, you can focus your beam uh, in a media which is, uh, which is scattering and even absorbing uh, if you appropriately uh, tailor the special temporal uh, features. Uh, and then the, the, the other thing is, can we use a quantum mechanical effect like, for example, anti-bunching to improve uh, resolution signal-to-noise in, uh, in imaging methods? Again, here I don't know enough to be able to say anything smart or interesting for you. Thank you. So now I basically open
0: for comments. Well, I have maybe just the most uh, obvious uh, kind of general question. Uh, Here you explain how you can use quantum
1: coherence as a tool for probing. It would be uh, very interesting for us, for some of us at least, to hear you elaborate a little bit more about uh, how you could see
0: possibly quantum coherence as an element in biological processes. In biological question, again,
1: I don't know uh, that much. So uh, I think there is definitely uh, uh, use for microquaries in photoreceptor and and light sensitivity, where you have uh, antenna that can actually transfer excitation to to the uh, chromophore. I don't know that much about about photosynthesis, but Photosynthesis would appear to me uh, as a natural uh, natural ground for, for application and and for your ideas and because I think this is where really it would be most, most uh, relevant. Uh, there are other, there are open questions. For example, uh Kathy uh, Barton, Calitex, she observed the uh, uh, long-range transport of electrons in, in the end. Uh, long-range, maybe a few hundred, uh, few hundred extra. So uh, there are questions, how is it possible first? And then, is it used by the value? There, there are always two aspects. When you observe a, a quantum effect, the first thing is, is it real or not? But then it could be, well, I think the said, it could be that the effect is real and everything is fine, but uh, nature is not making any use of it. So the first thing would be to check indeed if, the, if the effect is real and what is the mechanism behind that, and then see whether uh, whether nature uses it. In this particular aspect of, uh, of uh, Electron transport. In DNA, there are some very nice uh, experiments by the like group of and on, on um, polarization of photo uh, emitted electrons passing through chiral molecules. So if, you put, if you put the DNA on, on gold, double-sided uh, DNA, so chiral DNA on gold, and you shine gold with light, the electrons that are being emitted. Are uh, polarized and they are polarized with respect to the current of the DNA. So depending on the polarity of the molecule, they can be polarized one way or the other. Uh, that, uh, that is a very interesting uh, uh, effect for which there are, are uh, explanations. Essentially, there's the expression is pretty nice actually. Uh, the idea is that the current molecule and like DNA. As charges distributed along the, along, along the DNA in a parallel manner. Now, if you put yourself in the frame of reference of the moving electron, an electrical charge which is parallel will generate a magnetic field that is uh, oriented along, uh, along the, 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 the axis of the DNA, like current in a hole. So, you will, will, will have a magnetic field. And the magnetic field would depend on the current, and the, 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 the direction of the magnetic field. So, the spin of the electron would then uh, interact with the magnetic field. So, that's how you get those spin polarized electron beams. The argument of Lama and how, it, how that might be kind of linked to Kathy uh, uh, um, results uh, is that uh, because of the coupling between, between the momentum, the, the, of the electron and its spin, elastic scattering in the cross-section for elastic scattering is much reduced. Because to reverse the, uh, the, the direction of motion of the electron, you also have to reverse its spin. So this might explain why el- el- elastic scattering of electrons in DNA might be, might be uh, cross-section might be, might be very small, and this might explain why electron in DNA could actually propagate coherent into large distance. Now, whether this is used by biology, uh, is still a speculation.
0: Are, are the experiments are, are Kathy Barton or Jackie Barton?
1: Oh, uh, Jackie, Jackie Barton.
0: Jackie. Jackie. Uh, she doesn't prove it. She can't say whether it's coherent or not. Right.
1: I but I don't know that. I don't know that much about that, about the experiment to see whether she whether she, she can say something or not.
3: Maybe this is a bit of a vague question, but I can't uh, waste the opportunity of having a room full of biologists. Um, how do you, in biology, how do you decide when something is functionally relevant? I mean, what, do, do you have criteria to say any uh, effect? Well, yes, you can. Uh, if you can
1: decide. But as far as I know, you Usually, to see if something is possibly relevant or not, you knock down the that, that, uh, that the supposed uh, function or proteins or whatever, you see if the function is still there or not. Or you, look, you, you, look, you try to restore it afterwards. For example, in the case of redic acid I show you here, mm-hmm. So people say it's a, it's a morphogen. It's important for brain, for brain how do we know that? You you uh, lock down the retinic acid. So you eliminate retinic acid, for example, by drugs that prevent synthesis. <laughs> and you see whether the uh, brain, in this case, or any, uh, in it, any other organs, develops normally. Okay. Now, if it develops abnormally, it could be that it is directed to retinic acid, it could be to other things. Uh, to check that it is in retinic acid, you supply back the erythric uh, acid, or whichever molecule or protein or whatever you have knocked down, and you try to rescue the function. If there's just a pipe, the element that you have removed, you, you are capable of, uh, of restoring the normal function. Then the highlight: the element, this particular element, is involved in that function. Doesn't mean that it is uh, controls the whole function, but. Participates in
3: this function. So, uh, uh, it's a, I guess the kinds of things that, that we think about um, are such small elements of a larger system. It's not as of. It, so, if, if brain functioning is limited, it seems like it should be functioning relevant. Right? But, uh, for example, so light harvesting. Um, if you can show that without the chronically effects, the efficiency of energy transfer is, is a little bit less, right? So it goes from 0.99 to 0.9. I, I don't even know how to how to go about answering whether that's functionally relevant, because it's such a small part in a larger organism. Um, are there any clues from how you normally think about biological systems?
1: I you'd like to see how quantum mechanical effects would be would
3: be relevant. Right, yes. well, so, or, that's any small effect, that's such mm-hmm. a small part of, of a larger mechanism.
0: So, I mean, that's actually the, one of the right. key issues in this light harvesting, is that you can certainly have classical transport of excitations and have, function, have a functioning light harvesting antenna system, but if you have the extra quantum effects, you'll get a 5 or 10% enhancement. And so clearly, if you remove the polynomial flex, you're not going to have a knockdown completely. But there's a small change. And so then people start to talk about evolutionary advances, and it uh, yes. get more, than, I mean, which goes to another issue beyond function. Uh,
1: the way, okay, I don't know, one no, possible way to check whether 10% uh, change in efficiency is relevant or not would be to find the, for example, that you have an algae uh, that is algae uh, that is sensitive to light. If you could uh, grow in a condition where it sees only coherent fact or this coherent effect, uh, I don't, don't think you uh, could illuminate the algae and show that uh, in a condition where you have, uh, you have no yeah. quantum coherence, and it, then it in the same, we the same as you did Joseph <coughs> in, in where you you do a still of a over a long time, over that this, 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 this is another
0: very big debate in the field because it, now we're coming to the initial the state of the light, okay? And so in fact, this, this system that's been very well studied in the light harvesting actually functions very nicely at eight kilometers below sea level using black body radiation from thermal vents. So the light source doesn't have to be-
1: Sure, it does not have to be, but the question is whether, whether, whether as you said, whether, whether the, is the extra quantum efficiency uh, necessary or useful for the growth, or is it going to be used by the cell to grow better okay, or not? What you're saying is that there is a 10% improvement in efficiency of light harvesting, if, if you have quantum neural's effect or not. not. From theoretical models. Right. So one way to test that would be to see whether this, because whether this 10% are being used by the cell or not, because the cell can be, you know, they don't, it, it might be, it, it not It might not necessarily optimize light collection. For the surprising thing that surprised me a few years ago, when I learned, but uh, when the bacteri- uh, bacteria or, or light is in complex is it too much light on it, instead of decoupling, it burns. Yes. The, so that sounds stupid. Uh, I would you know I would change the clutch and not couple and not couple the uh, the, the light to yeah. to transform. transport. But presumably the way that it, it, it like does, it's it's there, there are mechanisms, the that,
3: photo photoprotection
1: that. mechanism Yeah. So, but okay, anyway, so but my, my main point is that it's, it's, not, it's not always obvious that the that, 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 that light harvesting is optimizing to uh, yeah. maxima, maximize the uh, transfer of energy of light to electron, electron transport. But a way to test that would be to check if it influences growth. That's what I would do.
3: Yeah, but is one generation really enough? It, it seems like oh, the, the yeah. argument is, is an evolutionary. So no, no, have to you show. don't.
1: You don't have to run it. You don't have to. I think I mean, to, to run an evolutionary experiment, I think if you if you can show that over a few generations, if you can show that this ten percent improvement mm-hmm. in the, in life harvesting is uh, mm-hmm. resulting in a growth improvement I say one percent, that would on the long long yeah. run be enough mm-hmm. to justify maybe the 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 Effects uh, to improve growth. Rate. Yeah, the problem in, in biology is that, uh, I mean, the, the, the logical thing is to look at the effects on fitness. Um, and yeah, if it has a 10% effect on
0: growth rate, then everyone would agree. But the, the problem is we know that mean, uh,
3: natural selection, can, can move things with a selection coefficient of 10 to the minus 6. And there's no way you can measure that in the lab. It would take at least
0: 10 to the six generations of growth of your organism to change like that. So this is a, sort of a limitation on the field. You can't, you can't just do a knockout, which people like to do in mice, for example. And so you see the phenotype, therefore it's, and you don't see the phenotype and it's, it's irrelevant.
2: And that's not even close to the truth.
4: Yeah, I I totally agree with Mike, and I think also from a a biologist's point of view, the question of how do you determine if something is functional or functionally relevant um, is tough because there's no single answer uh, in the field, and everyone is looking at, you know, their microscopic level of of biological systems, but ideally, for some fantasized huge integration of knowledge, we would be able to go from quantum effects to Cellular, organeller effects, multicellular effects, and then what you really need are population geneticists to get it on the game, and and, and, and do the long, do the long haul experiment. In some systems, are more are sort of amenable to that if their generation time is short enough. But most multicellular organisms are not amenable to that. And it's, I mean, it's analogous to the saying, "Is, is this functionally relevant?" It's analogous to the problem of if you have a, if you have a, a an organ like a brain and a molecule like retino- retinoic acid and. You want to understand if it's use in the organism that's functionally relevant, and you have a search pattern, because it's already been studied in 15 different vertebrates, and in all of those 15 vertebrates, there's a common element of function that's perturbed, which is X, and you go to your brand new whatever it is, you like uh, mollusks, you go to a snail, and you, you have a search pattern. You're gonna look at the brain first, because you have a specific hypothesis, so you're gonna check. That problem, I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's much easier than the other problem that you can also ask, which is, here's a brand new sequence that I've never seen before in the sequence genome of the Yeti, what does this gene do? And you have no search pattern. And so you just make intelligent guesses. And your guesses are considered more or less intelligent by the success that they give you. <laughs> you know, So it's I, I find it analogous to that problem. Because yeah. um, what I do in my lab a lot is take genes that have known functions in other organisms and try to understand to what extent they are playing those same roles in a variety of organisms. And in the cases where they are, we kind of you know, we don't wanna get caught in a cyclical loop Well, it's doing the same thing, therefore it's doing the same thing. But in the many cases where it's doing something different, it takes us a long time to even figure it out because we're looking in one place for a defect in one way with one measurement and maybe the function is not there. And so it's, uh, I see them as analogous problems and the only way that you can, that I've tried to get a handle on it is to step back and try to discard any bias in search pattern and try to construct a series of logical guesses where I might look that aren't the obvious place. But it's, it's not a solved problem in biology, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why everybody, why there's a hundred labs working on retinoic acid still, right? Because there's always something new that somebody is seeing. Yeah. And
2: also, I think there's an, another angle to that. And that's, the, that's the fact that uh, there are so many uh, non-linear courses in biology that would allow you sometimes, you know, to find the right context in which 10% change would give you a, a huge uh, scientific difference. Right. And so it's just a matter of finding the right context for, uh, for, for your question. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, uh, if you're interested in the degree to which uh, quantum coherence or quantum efficiency um, can uh, can affect biological processes is just a matter of uh, finding context, the right context.
4: One thing I would really be interested in. Uh, in understanding as much as I could would be if we can understand enough about quantum coherence properties of different biological things to understand what their differences and similarities are. Let's say different types of molecules or different types of organelles if we can even talk at that scale. And if that could help us understand the differences between different molecular functions or different subcellular activities or even different cell types and if that could basically feed both ways with the question that Tomaso was asking, which is, as biologists were always looking for new tools, um, because if I knew that this cell type has a preponderance of this type of fatty acid that has these types of quantum properties, and that that's very different from another cell type whose biological components I know, but I have no way, let's say, all of these tricks with the special, uh, let's say, the fluorescent (coughs) voltage-sensitive proteins, they're great if you're able to make a transgenic organism and you can control the expression of the gene in a known-ish way. But if you can't do that, um, or you can't can't control the expression of it very well, then you'd really like a way to be able to get away from injecting at the one-cell stage, and it goes everywhere, but to differentiate from different cell types in the organism at different times, or based, perhaps, um, yeah, I'm getting a little garbled here, but I'm wondering if there are, if we could learn enough differences about quantum coherence of different molecular species to then group those into <coughs> cell type categories or functional biological unit categories.
3: I think another aspect is, um, <coughs> you think about uh, when um, photosynthesis was evolved, about a billion years ago or more, and, uh, experiments that you're talking about are, you know, done under 2012 conditions. 2013 conditions is not going to uh, even close to the <clears throat> oxygenation and all the other factors under which um, the quantum aspects of photosynthesis conferred some selective advantage. So I think, uh, you know, right now this might be carried through, but detecting that advantage under some sort of ancestral state is what we really would like to learn. Okay.
0: But actually, there is a group that's trying to set up, sort of, some. Um, Greg Scholes in Toronto is trying to set up with, I think, cyanobacteria a whole sequence of evolution of, uh, of organisms that would be related on some evolutionary tree. And so then just scan a whole lot one by one to see how, they, how, how much they have for this quantum coherence. Of course, that's a very time consuming <coughs> task. So actually, Casimir the point there is with the retin retinoic acid. So there's also um, very important cis trans in, in the primary step of vision, which involves the retinal system. And that's actually appears to go by a chemical section. Okay. Yeah. And ah, it so may
1: be it well.
0: Yeah, that's it may well. be related. I think. I can check, for really, people may have actually already used shape pulses to probe that, because there's been a huge amount of work done on understanding that primary step. Right. So yeah, I mean that's something I think I could look at. That would be, that would be it's something it's we should. discuss. <laughs> okay. Well, so if. I mean, I think if people are interested, you know, if you know where we all are, can come around and talk informally. If you want to have another sure. session in the two weeks, you could also do that. But thank you for coming and thank uh, you